What if the life we are pursuing is a big lie? We spend a lot of time trying to do the right things. We spend even more time trying not to do the wrong thing, all in an attempt to gain favor with God. We supported the right causes, voted for the right candidates, wore the right clothes, kept the right traditions, all in a misguided hope that we were doing our faith the way it was supposed to be done. But we still feel like something's missing. But what if it's not about all those things? What if the truth is that our faith is less complicated, less demanding, less intimidating than we could have ever imagined? Morning. Welcome to our 1030 service. Welcome to those also watching online. We've been in a series. This is now the fourth week titled Simply Christian. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage. So get ready, open your Bible, turn it on to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You know, one of the timeless arguments for against the existence of God or timeless arguments, I guess, even if you believe in God, against the fact that God cares um, about what's going on in the world or God cares about you, is the presence of human suffering. And it makes sense if you think about it. I mean, you don't have to think very long about human suffering, whether it's on the grand scale of, you know, wars that are taking place in the world, whether it's, you know, natural disasters or terrorist acts or, you know, sex abuse scandals. I mean, it's one thing after another. You could hardly keep up with it from the, um, you know, what's going on in the world right down to your own life, down to, you know, um, personal disappointments, cancer, uh, divorce, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's been around for a long time. And many people say to me, maybe, maybe a lot of people who aren't here today or wouldn't choose to be in a church today would say, you know, how can I believe in a God who, who lets the world run the way it does with so much pain and so much um, hardness and so much suffering on um, a, such a great scale? And that makes a lot of sense, and I, I certainly appreciate that. Uh, I have a lot of questions and the Bible doesn't answer them all. There's still a lot of mystery in uh, our faith. But at the same time that that's true, and we have to acknowledge that, a true understanding of the Christian faith tells us that suffering, nevertheless, the suffering even in our own lives, in my life, in your life, can be a source that actually draws us closer to God, not further away, a source that actually can help sharpen our understanding of the broken world that we live in and um, even sharpen our understanding of our own lives and that our sufferings can actually make us more compassionate to others, um, not less compassionate, and that suffering, our suffering, can actually result in us having more courage to face a dark and uh, challenging world um, than less. So what does the Bible say, right? That's our 
itch we've been scratching in this series. What does it actually say? What is the Christian faith? What is the biblical point of view about um, what it means to be a Christian? So that's my subject this morning in a message titled Purposeful Suffering. Purposeful Suffering. Romans chapter 5, our main text, but we'll look at a number of verses this morning. Verses 1 through 5. Follow along as I read. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. First thing I want to say is that this passage, and I think the New Testament says, is that suffering drives you deeper into God's purpose for your life, or that it can. Suffering can drive you deeper into God's purpose for your life. This series, the attempt of this series, the, the idea of this series of messages, is try to address some misconceptions and I think there are a lot of them about the Christian faith, okay? We've been talking about them over these last four weeks. And, um, you know, does the Bible really say this, right? Does the Bible really teach this? Because I think I've, I've come to appreciate in my own Christian life, and even as a church-going person and a, and a pastor, there are things that I always thought were true about the Christian faith or that were true what the Bible says, that actually is not what the Bible says, is not actually representative of the Christian faith. And that's all the more true the further you get outside of the church, where people get their understanding of the Christian faith from all kinds of places, from what is said out on the street, largely from people's own experiences, right? We, we have a, our theology is often really a, a reflection of our own experiences, and, uh, and therefore we miss an awful lot. But, uh, you know, for instance, what does the Bible says? One of the central teachings, we talked about it, that the Bible um, affirms is that Jesus Christ was sent into the world to die for our sins, right? I mean, there's no question that's central. Two weeks ago, I talked about the cross and why the cross is so central, not only to the message of the Bible, but some would say, and I would say uh, anyway, that it's, it's central to, to the human history, really, to the way you look at the grand scope of human history. So the cross is pretty important. Jesus came. I remember hearing this when I was a young Christian. He was born to die. And, and I certainly want to affirm that I wouldn't be here today. And if you're a Christian, your faith would not be um, what it is today. It wouldn't be real if Jesus didn't die for our sins. It's absolutely central. But that's not the only reason he came. Right? He didn't just come to die for our sins. He came to show us how to live. Okay, that's why his life story is told the way it is. He came also to show us how we live. Jesus is not just the son of God and God the son. He is also the firstborn from among the dead, which is a Bible way of saying he is your brother. He, if you, he, he is our brother. He shows us what humanity is supposed to be like. He demonstrates not in the heavenlies, not in where was he in the past, but in his life on earth, what human life is supposed to be about. He shows us how to live. 
And we are to aspire in this life to live like Jesus, right? That's what the Bible says. And, set, and he's here to restore the image of God. The Bible says we were all made in God's image, every single person that's ever lived. But that image has been broken, right? Our intellect's not what it should be. Our emotions are not what they should be. Our physical life is not what it should be. Our point of view is not what it should be. Sin has damaged, not erased, but damaged the image of God. Jesus has come to restore that image. That's what it means to be born again, to use those terms if you've not heard them. It's what it means to be a Christian, not only to have your sins forgiven, but to restore the image of God day by day, minute by minute, um, year by year. That's why Jesus came. And central, what this passage is saying, to the, the central force of that restoration process, or certainly one of the central forces in that restoration process, is our sufferings. That's what it's saying. What you're seeing in this picture, you know, this, this series, this chain of events, right? You know, and, 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 and sufferings produce perseverance, and perseverance produces character and character hope. You're basically seeing what salvation is. What is salvation? We use that big word. We hear the word salvation. It's not the word that says what happens to you the day, the moment you die and you go into heaven. That's just the last turn of the screw. Salvation is a word that encompasses the entire process of becoming a Christian and then becoming like Jesus. And what this passage is telling us is that suffering is central to that process, number one. And the suffering is a force that helped form the character of Jesus Christ, the forerunner, the model of all perfect humanity. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. This might be the most, you know, theologically deep thing I say in this series. So buckle up and uh, hang in there. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Right? Ever heard a sermon on that? You say, well, isn't that the Garden of Gethsemane? No, that's not. It says, during the days of his life, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Verse 8. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And he was made perfect. And then and only then he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. What in the world does that mean? Okay. Did Jesus Christ, is it say that Jesus was disobedient? I don't think it means that Jesus, when it says he, was, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered, means that he was disobedient. And I say that because the whole New Testament would affirm that, okay? It's not saying that he was disobedient, but what is it saying? It's saying what he learned through his suffering as a human being, that he learned to triumph through suffering, right? He triumphed through suffering, right? Perseverance produces suffering. Suffering produces character. Character produces hope. What Jesus learned was something 
that he had not learned prior to his incarnation. In ways that don't make sense to us, so much of the life of Jesus doesn't make sense to us. In other words, that Jesus was God the Son. He existed before he was a baby in a manger for all eternity. But he came, and in the course of coming and taking on human form to bring about our salvation, he had experiences that he had never experienced before he became a human being. And one of those central was his experience of triumphing through sufferings, through you know, many uh, uh, urgent cries and, 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 and pleas to God. He prayed to God and he learned something through that. And his humanity in this sense, Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, was completed or perfected, which is what the Greek word underlying that word means. Wow. Okay. Now, pastor, do you understand what that really means? No, I don't. That Jesus Christ, God the Son, learned something through suffering, and in his sufferings, it reflected his true humanity. I don't understand it, but I believe it. One, because it's in the Bible, but two, because it resonates with my own experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, who was a, an exemplary figure, an interesting person, but he was not, um, you know, uh, uh, he wasn't divine, right? He put his pants on one leg at a time, just like you and me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. What's the it? Paul had a suffering in his life. It's called a, a metaphorically a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but most people who've, who've studied this passage over the 2,000 years think it was a physical kind of suffering. He had a physical suffering that, that was... Um, uh, strong in his life and he said I pleaded like all uh, with all my might that God would take this suffering out of my life God take it out of my life it's holding me back it's keeping me back you're the one that called me into this I had a pretty good career going before I got involved as uh, you know in the ministry of Jesus Christ and now this suffering that's in my life that is chronic and difficult and problematic, and maybe it's humiliating, right? It's making my life difficult. I want it out of my life. And I think Paul believed in prayer, and if he did, you and I ought to. And there are times when we come to God with things in our lives, suffering of various and sundry kinds, and God does, I don't think Paul would pray if that wasn't the case, God does deliver us from those things in our life. But not this time. My grace is sufficient for you, he said to me. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. This is Paul. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake. Now, I'm not here yet. I confess, I don't have this kind of faith, right? I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Now, what is Paul saying? Is he saying, listen, I'm, I love it. I'm a martyr. I'm, I'm crazy. I'm, you know, bring it on. I like this kind of pain and suffering. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, I understand something now. 
For when I'm weak, then I'm strong because the power of Christ rests upon me. What is he saying? That we should be happy for our sufferings, our difficulties, our trials, our, our um, emotional, physical, psychological suffering. He's not saying we should be happy for our sufferings. And he's not saying we should be happy in spite of our sufferings. Some people think, you know, it's kind of the, the martyr syndrome, you know. Woe is me, but I'm happy, you know, kind of a thing, right? Not supposed to be happy for our sufferings. Not saying we should be happy in spite of our sufferings. What is he saying then? He's saying that we ought to, we ought to glory, that's the word he uses, in our sufferings. Another translation say, we can take joy in our sufferings, not because they feel good, but because they have the ability to drive us deep into deeper dependence on God where we can make contact with his power and with his grace. That's what Paul's saying. And he's saying, therefore, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. But I'm going I'm to have a different attitude. I'm going to open myself up to these because these sufferings, these trials become a way in which the power of God is going to rest on my life. And even further, as the, as the passage says in Romans, where the love of God is poured out into my life and made more real to me. Okay? That's what he's talking about. Suffering drives you deeper into God's purpose for your life. Second, suffering helps you, helps form you and form me into the person God made you to be. God, suffering, excuse me, helps form you more into the person that God made you to be. And let me say something unapologetically here. And I'm, 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 I'm like you. We're all in the same boat together. But it almost always comes in the form of testing. Okay? Almost always comes in the form of testing. But when I say testing, we think testing by God is not like, you know, to get a, it's not a testing like what kind of grade God is going to give you. He, you know, are you an A student or a B student or a C student? The purpose of testing, Romans 5, is to develop perseverance, right? That's the purpose of testing. It's supposed to help you and help me. The definition of perseverance is steadfastness despite difficulty and despite delay. You know what I want, this passage says? That suffering produces uh, a perseverance. Perseverance, character. In other words, refined humanity and character, hope. I want to have hope. I want to be able to face a dark and broken world. I want to face a world with all kinds of things that are upside down and difficult. I want to face it with courage. Fine, you want to get there? There's only one way to get there. Through perseverance. That's how you get there. That's how Jesus got there. And that's how you and I get there. Psalm 66, 10. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. It's a metaphor, but think about it. You refined us like silver. You burned off all of those things that were less important in my life. All the impurities and the foolishness and the, and, the, and the secondary desires and the wasted time. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through the fire and the water. This is, this is poetry, but he's making a point. But you brought us to a place of abundance. Maybe said another way, this is how you brought us into a place 
of abundance. That's what he said. What does it mean for us? It means when things get difficult, maybe in your health, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your career, maybe in your faith, you need to stay put. Don't be so quick to pull the cord. Don't be so quick to quit. Don't be so quick to give up. Don't be so quick to render a verdict on your own abilities because the truth is your pain and your disappointments often are the means for your growth. It's where your desires are refined. It's where your priorities are changed. It's where your faith is deepened. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice. He's talking about suffering. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Right? Perseverance produces character. Character. Hope. I read an article in the paper just uh, last week that Harvard, the great Harvard University... Um, let go of or, or removed from his position, Sullivan, one of the deans of the Harvard um, schools, or Harvard home, Harvard houses they're called, because this uh, law professor, Sullivan, was on Harvey Weinstein's defense team, and there was a bunch of students at Harvard University that felt that this was not this should not be so because Harvey Weinstein was you know you know sort of such a monster how dare one of our professors one of the guys over our, our houses of uh, 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 the deans of one of the houses of Harvard how dare he defend this guy and they started to protest they started to face some of you know graffiti on Harvard University and there was there was a big whoop de doo big brouhaha for 52 professors of the law school wrote an open letter to their own university and said, listen, we appreciate what's going on here, but this is bad precedent. We shouldn't get, what happened to the First Amendment? What happened? Everybody gets their day in court. And they said, we should not give in to this student protest. But the, the students, someone said, they have been traumatized by this event. Okay? That's what it said. They were traumatized that their school would actually have somebody who would defend someone. Listen, I am not a supporter uh, of Harvey Weinstein. And, and Harvey Weinstein, is, it looks like he's, his day is coming. And, but you know what? Everybody deserves their day in court. Okay? And, here's my, my, and my concern really isn't even the students who are upset about it. You know, who, who, who say they're traumatized. Because, you know, when you go to college, high school and college, that's a place where you're supposed to be forming your character. You're supposed to be asking hard questions. You're supposed to get angry. You're supposed to say, I don't know if I believe this anymore. That's supposed to be, that's what college and university are for. What I wonder is, who's the adults in this story, right? The people who run this and the parents. You know what the job of a parent is? You know what the job of a, of a university professor or an administrator is? It's to help young people emerge out of adolescence, not keep them in there, okay? That's what we're supposed to do. But I think we live in a culture increasing. This isn't just Harvard. It's all over the country, if you're paying attention. 
people of left and right, they're onto campuses and they're getting yelled out. They're getting thrown out. They're being protested. Things are being, you know, people are, are, our careers are being ended. What happened to, um, what's happening to our culture? Suffering helps form you into the person God made you to be. Lastly, the hope forged in suffering gives us courage to face the world. All right, this is really what this is all about. Suffering should deepen our experience in hope. Why? Because in our sufferings, listen carefully, in our sufferings, like Paul's, like mine, like yours, the Holy Spirit of God makes the love of God more real to your heart. And see, the real thing that's going to change you and change me, we talked about this even last Sunday if you were here, God's grace. The real thing that changes you and changes me is when the unearned, counterintuitive, don't deserve it, love of God comes into the core part of who you are. Because when the love of God gets a hold of your heart, I don't mean just up here, right? You don't become a Christian and that's like a transaction, like clicking a box, like joining something. It's you, you enter in by faith in Jesus Christ, but then the love of God needs to penetrate down into your heart. It's the course of your life. That's why you read the Bible. That's why you pray. That's why you, you invest in your faith. Do you understand the, what Simply Christian is all about? Because as the love of God is poured out in your heart, as God's love is made more real to your heart, the love of God is poured out into your heart. That's what he's saying. Here's what happens. You're, you become freer of your self-absorption. You become freer of your fear. That's what's really running your life. And as I become freer of my self-absorption and I become freer of my fear, then I can face a darkened world. I can face darkness in the world. I can face darkness in you. Frankly, I can face darkness in myself and not be overwhelmed. Okay? In fact, let me say this. If you came in here today, this is your attitude or has been, and say, listen, the reason I'm not a Christian or the reason I don't vest more in my Christian life is Christ, to be a Christian means you have to have your head in the sand. Christians are people who aren't real about what's going on in the world, who want to turn a blind eye or just look at the, you know, so uh, heavenly minded that they're no earthly good kind of mentality. I would say, listen, if that's what you and I, if that's what you think of Christianity, let me tell you something. You've completely missed the Christian message, Okay. You've completely missed it. Because as a Christian, your ability to face reality is greater, not, not smaller. You ought to have a greater capacity for sadness, not a smaller capacity for sadness, because the love of God has been poured out in your heart. And you can look out into a broken and, and, and troubled world. You don't get your identity from it. You don't find your hope there. Your hope is in something else. So with that love of God poured out into your heart, you can look and walk closer into the world and say, let me do something about it. Right? That's what we're talking about. Let me close with this example. It's right here in the Bible, in, in the same passage we're in. Uh, uh, just before Romans 5, if you have your Bible open, he gives the example of Abraham. Also a flawed man. right? A human being like you and me. Against all hope, the story of Abraham, the father of the faith, right? the first patriarch, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Now, if some of you don't know the story, it's, just, it's, a, it's going back to the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis 12, where God calls, God wants to start a nation because in his plan, 
a nation is going to bring forth a Messiah who's going to die for the sins of the world. That's his plan. Bring it through the history and the, and, and the generations of a, of a people group. And he says, I want to start a nation, not just a family, not just a church, a nation. But he picks a guy who's almost 100 years old who's never had any children. Okay? And he says to this guy, listen, I want, I'm going to make a promise to you. Look up at the stars in the sky. All right? See all these lights up here? He says, see all those stars? He says, so will your children um, be. You're going to have, Abraham would have given his whole life for one kid, and God says, you're going to have, all, you're going to have tons of kids. All right? With, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact, this is what I want you to do and me to do, that his body was as good as dead. He was beyond suffering, okay? Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb, his wife, was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He didn't let the world define his future. He didn't let the world define what God could or couldn't do in his life. But was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he could not do. Okay? And do what he promised. But it doesn't come in some nice little package, you know, woo, it comes down from heaven, you know, scratch this off and you're going to have a bunch of kids and money, right? It's not, it's not a scratch-off kind of faith. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make a promise, bold, that through you and your wife of 90 years, you're going to have kids. You know how many years between the day of that promise and the day that Ishmael and then eventually Isaac was born? I know I'm throwing a lot at you here this morning. It was a lot of years still, right? So it's not easy. Did Abraham suffer, not only in his life, but then when he said, hey, guys, brings that little family gathering. I got a vision from God Almighty, an old, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Baron Sarah and, and Baron Abraham, we're going to have a child. We're going to have a reveal party. Okay? <laughs> and they have one, and 12 years goes by. Now, what would it be like to be that guy and that lady when they already were brokenhearted. And now they got to go every year, every, every month, and say, you know, um, I'm humiliated, right? But Abraham, without weakening in his faith, what's the point? I think there's a lot of people in this room, to a degree I'm one of them, whose body, career, marriage, future is as good as dead, okay? As good as dead. But being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he couldn't do, right? That's what we're talking about. Hope forged in suffering gives us courage to face the world, right? A true Christian that has a true understanding of the Christian faith, let me tell you something. They, their head's not in the sand. If, if, I know this is a hard message to appreciate if you've never heard it before. This is really difficult, okay? Um, but a true Christian 
can face the harshness of the world, can face the darkness of the world, even the harsh darkness in your own life with a different quality of courage because perseverance produces character and character hope. Why? What's, the, what's that hope based on? Because the love of God is poured into that place in your life and it makes, it makes the love of God more real in your life and it brings your rotten, horrible, weighted self-absorption, which is really what's stealing your life and keeping you and me back, and your fear. See, it brings relief to that self-absorption. It brings relief to that fear and I'm no longer taking my cue from the broken world. I'm taking my cue from the love of God, and now I can go into the world, right, and actually bring a different kind of answer to the people around me. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these minutes today. We thank you for your great love, and I, I am so thrilled this morning to stand here and, and watch these um, friends this service and last service be baptized who who say uh, publicly not only thank you for dying for me thank you for giving me the forgiveness of sin but thank you for showing me how to live and help us all in this room lord in this real time broken world to remember this is not the end of the story this is not the world as you created it to be. That there's another world coming. A world where there is no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more disease, no more divorce. No more cancer. Help us to find strength in you. Help us, Lord, to experience the love of God at a deeper place in, in our lives that we might <clears throat> help those who can't see, who believe things about God that aren't true, to help them to know that it is true, that God does love them. And he has brought the solution to all suffering in the person of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.